I don't want to focus on specifically just MVCs and car wrecks and stuff like that. Cause like you already said, there are so many different categories of trauma calls. So certain criteria of trauma categories warrant certain specifications of information, or should it all kind of be formatted in the same way? Or like, what is, what is, what should be the go-to for that idea? Yeah. I mean, I think overall you should have a general format for giving trauma reports, but I think it's important to, to keep one that can be whichever one you use and whichever one you may develop. It's important that it can be adaptable to many different situations. Um, because like we said, you know, there are so many varieties of traumas out there. Um, and you're never going to find one that can fit everything without it being adaptable. Um, as far as certain things that I think require special notice of, yeah, I think fires, I think burns. I think those are ones that you should be alerting the hospital prior to arrival if you can, if you have that ability to, or when you get there, making sure that everyone's aware that this is a burn style trauma that requires special care. Some trauma centers are not capable of handling burns despite being trauma centers. You know, these patients often have to go to burn centers. Um, I think anytime you're dealing with elderly patients, it's important to take note of that. Um, Elderly patients, they tend to have a lot more medications. They're a lot more brittle. They're fragile in a lot of different ways. And I'm not saying every elderly person is like that, but it is true, the older you get, the more risk at harm you are and even minor traumas, bones break easier, they're more susceptible to bleeding, they can't um, compensate as well as younger individuals. So I think the elderly population warrant special care and you should pay special attention to their vitals and maybe give a little bit more of a detailed report in that regards to the trauma team. Um, outside of that, there's hundreds of different trauma scenarios out there. So I think just keeping a format that can be adapted to a lot of different scenarios is probably more important in my head. Right. And I want you to kind of weigh in on maybe some mnemonics or tips and tricks that you use or you have used in the past and stuff like that. One that I use is the acronym, the letter D. M-I-S-T, demist. For me, it's kind of demystifying the whole flashy, scary situation that the patient's in. But the breakdown is D, demographics. Go ahead and get out your patient age, gender, weight. Easy. The M is mechanism of injury. So the time of the injury, type of injury, fall, MVC, assault, whatever it is. Um, if it is your MVC, do not forget to give an estimated speed that the person was traveling. If there's a posted speed limit, throw that in there. If the person is awake enough to say like, yeah, I was driving this, say what they were driving, et cetera. The type of collision, the height of the fall, the type of the weapon, safety devices used. One thing that I've picked up from an EMT, like while I'm, I'm still a paramedic, an EMT showed me one time. Anytime you ask a patient, were you wearing your seatbelt? 10 times out of 10, they're going to say yes, unless they're just being brutally honest. They will say yes. So what he showed me was you go to the vehicle. It takes about five seconds. Pull on the seatbelt. If it doesn't pull, 
I think that's what it is. If it's locked and stretched out, they were wearing the seatbelt because the seatbelt locks. But if it's kind of, if it doesn't lock, they probably weren't wearing their seatbelt. And granted, they can unbuckle, they can do all the things, but nine times out of 10, you can kind of trust that a little bit. That's just, that's what I've picked up, me personally. Yeah. Um, the I in D-Mist is injury. So you're quick head to toe, quickly list out your injuries. Don't kind of, like you said, don't focus on those big flashy things. Make sure you list them all out. Everything is important, not in the whole trauma report, but the injuries. If your patient has a head injury, but they have an open tib fib, make sure you're not going into detail about the tib fib. Don't forget the head, kind of like you said. Your S is signs. So like we talked about the GCS, the pulse rate, respirations, blood pressure, SpO2, the blood sugar, which I'm going to put a pin in the blood sugar. Um, And if there, I would even venture out to say if there are any, like we talked about any specific trends. So their blood pressure was initially a systolic of 117. And the latest one you got is 80. You should probably bring that up. It's a little important. And lastly is T for treatment. So like you talked about, any interventions you did, any treatment that you gave, wound care, splinting, obviously tubes, IV, chest seals, decompressions. And I would even take it a step further and say the response to the treatment. So when you gave supplemental oxygen, did the patient improve in their SpO2 or did it get worse? Or was it consistently at 90%? So um, that's just what I use. And I actually have a little notebook that I keep with me of whenever I need to take notes on a call or something like that. And I have it written on the very first page as demissed. Because on the way to a call, I'm getting it out right before we walk up to the scene. I open it and I'm about to fold it and put it back in my little pocket, but I see D-Mist and I'm like, oh yeah, focus on these things. I'm going to go back in and add allergies in there because sometimes I forget that. A lot of the times I forget that, but that that's just me. That's just what I use. Everybody can use their own specific thing. There's no, there is a wrong way, but there's no one specific right way of how to do it as long as you're hitting those big points. Yeah, and I, I also use the the DMIS one in my own personal reports. Um, this is by no means me endorsing it. I think you should use whichever one is best for you and whichever one you're comfortable with. Um, I think it is important to have one. If you know, I, I don't think you want to go into these reports blindly and just start listing things off because um, I don't think that's going to be helpful. And I think the trauma team will get annoyed with you. Um, so I think having a formatted way of doing it is by far the best way to do it. Um, for tips and tricks, I think one of the most underplayed thing is establishing a timeout when you get there. Um, I think a well-performing trauma system will automatically do this for you. However, from personal experience, I do know this is not always the case. Um, so personally, what I like to do when I get in and I am about to give the report, I always started off by saying, is everybody here who needs to hear this report? Because it gets everybody's attention in the room. 
and make sure that I know the ER physician is there, that the trauma surgeon is there, that, that the scribing nurse is ready. It just sets the tone that, hey, I'm about to talk about this patient. I need everybody to listen to me for the next two to three minutes, and then we can go on with what we need to do. Because there is nothing worse, and I don't know if this has happened to you, but it's definitely happened to me, than being a third of the way through the report, having somebody walk into the trauma bay and say, I need you to start over again. It's happened to me. It just throws off the entire cycle. It's not ideal. So I love that, again, just a quick little, is hey, is everybody here who needs to hear this report? They say yes, and we're good to go. Establishing that this is the time for the EMS report because it's it's important. It's important that they listen to what we have to say because we're the ones who have been caring for this patient for however long the transport ones. We're the ones who were on scene. We knew what happened. We knew what we did. They don't. They need to hear it. So just establishing that early on that, hey, this is my time to talk, and then there will be time to answer questions afterwards because I find, and it's unfortunate that it happens, that people stumble because they get asked questions. I've seen it happen before. I know brilliant medics and this nurse, this doctor, this RT, whoever's in the room will chime in and interrupt in the middle of the report. And they'll be like, they'll ask some question that was like non-sequential to whatever was going, it just throws off the rhythm. So hopefully they know, again, during timeout, there'll be time for questions at the end. If not, that's a time for discussion afterwards of, hey, I've, you know, I'm just familiar more with during timeouts. We can ask questions afterwards. I'll be here for any questions if you need in the future. They might not like that feedback, but I think it is important that during the report, questions are known to be asked at the end because that's truly what needs to happen. And that's what high performing systems do. Um, the other tip is don't complicate it. Please don't use fancy medical lingo. Use plain English. Don't go off saying the person has a seven centimeter laceration to the dorsum of their left foot or whatever have you. Like they have a cut on their foot. Simple, plain English will be your friend. Do not overcomplicate this more than what you need to do because we do it in the ER ourselves. We use plain English. Afterwards, when we're discussing things in more details, then maybe we'll start using, you know, the lingo and whatnot. But please, plain English is more than fine. Don't complicate it more than what you need to. And I want to bring up something you said of making sure everybody's there. Something that I was told while I was going through my clinical rides and stuff like that was... I was told when I go to give a trauma report, literally look at everybody as best as you can, make eye contact, especially with the ER physician, and say, all right, are we ready? That way it kind of gives that, I don't want to say superiority because that just sounds wrong, but that idea that like you're the one who needs to talk because, and if especially if your report's too long, you get walked over. Nobody has time to sit and listen to you explain that one thing for 10 minutes straight while everybody's ready and anxious to get things started and done because they have to do their own assessment. They go off of what you said, but you got to start over with that primary. And then they got to start looking at the interventions that were already done, looking at the progress, the trends. There's a lot of stuff that they still have to do. So I like what you said about is everybody in here that needs to be in here because having to start over 
And I involuntarily rolled my eyes because it is so annoying. And you get, like you're talking about, you get in that groove and you're about half, it's always like halfway through. Yeah. And then they burst in. They're like, sorry, you have to start over. Like you should have been in here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. But um I get it. I mean, it's it's true. You're right. You know, it's it's so it happens every now and again, maybe more often than it should. You just get interrupted and they want you to start over and you were just on a roll. You were firing. And then, of course, naturally, the second time you do it, you're going to mess up because you nailed it the first time and two things can't go right in a row. So now you're going to do it again and you and then it just goes downhill from there. So I I completely agree that being interrupted halfway through the report is just, it's just not ideal. Um, All right. So I do want to just kind of wrap this up with one last question that I have. And for our listeners, for our viewers, if there's anything that you want to bring up at any point, if there's any commentary you have, positive commentary, please. No, but anything that you want to kind of bring up and bring to our attention, throw it in there. Cause I've probably missed something. There are probably other stuff to ask and discussion to be brought up. So please do the things. So I heard an ER physician say one time that a blood sugar is the most underutilized tool and aspect of a trauma call. And I want to talk about it because recently we were dispatched to a boat versus a tree. All we got were there were two patients and one of them was unconscious. So we're in rural EMS in Louisiana. We have like a 30 something minute ETA and then it's like an hour to the local trauma center. So we go ahead, activate a bird, get a helicopter down there. Um, and then my mindset was also worst case. Say they're the patient's not fly worthy. If they need an airway, I can't RSI or DSI, whatever you want to call it they can get an airway or I can get an extra set of hands in the back in case the patient starts decompensating, something like that. So I'm like, cool, let's get a bird out there. We're doing our thing. We're getting to the call. I'm talking to my partner. We're pre-gaming in the best way of what we're going to do. You know, if it's this, if it's that, here's the first things we want to establish, that kind of stuff. We get there. Our patient is in a boat pulled up to the shore. So like, Personally, I'm sitting, I'm looking, I'm like, I just shined my boots yesterday. This is a little hillbilly, I guess. I took my boots off and my socks off and I'm like, all right, let's go wander in the sand and the mud to this patient. We had all of our equipment with us. We get there. We get a very quick set of vital signs because the helicopter is five minutes away. And this guy's leg is, he's not mangled. He's not bloody but it's not bending the way it's supposed to. It's supposed to be straight at the tip fib and it is not straight at all. And he was a little intoxicated. So, and he's trying to act like he's tough because it's me and my other female partner. So I'm just going to leave it at that, but he's trying to act tough, but anytime the boat would rock a little bit, like his jaw would clench. And so he's obviously in pain. His vital signs were good enough for pain medication. I'm drawing up the fentanyl. I'm giving them the dose that we can give. Another reason I wanted the flight crew there is because they can give a larger dose of pain medication than we can. And slash, or they don't have to, I'm not coming at any agency, but they don't have to call for orders for ketamine for pain management like I do. So 
just going to throw that out there. But um, so we do the best that we can with the little bit of time that we have before the flight crew gets there. And they're going to go ahead and fly them out. And as they move the patient from our stretcher to their gurney to bring him to the helicopter, the flight medic looked at me and said, did you get a blood sugar? And I looked at him and said, sir, with all due respect, I had about seven minutes to splint this guy after giving him pain medication, after I get a basic set of vital signs, after we had to walk through the mud to get to him, I said, no, I did not get you a blood sugar. And he kind of smiled. I don't know if he was joking, but we got back in the ambulance and I look at my partner. I'm like, did you get a blood sugar? So what, <laughs> what is the actual importance of a CBG? capillary blood glucose in our trauma patients if we do not have time yeah so i think i think first just laying the groundwork you have time for what you have time for you know i would never ever want any listener to prioritize getting a cbg on somebody instead of putting a tourniquet (laughs) you know we only have time for what we have time for with that being the foundation, two things that are often forgot about that fall into my realm of vitals for patients are capillary blood glucose level and temperature. Oh, I think good. temperatures on patients in trauma specifically are super important because one of the things that will lead to death in trauma patients is hypothermia. So getting a good temperature on them, important. That's a side topic for a different day. However, Capillary blood glucose. Yeah, it is important. Um, If you have the time, you should get one. And I think the reason for this is outside of stuff that happens down the line, glucose can be very important in determining outcomes, whether it be hypoglycemia complications or hyperglycemia complications in trauma. It can affect mortality and morbidity in these patients. So it is something that is going to be monitored throughout their stay at the hospital. But that doesn't really impact EMS, right? Once they get to the hospital, they're going to be getting another blood glucose regardless of if you got one or not, okay? That's the hospital side of things. Where I think it comes into play for EMS is how confident are you that this trauma was not the result of a medical condition prior to the trauma? How do you know this person crashed their vehicle And they just simply crashed. They didn't have a medical problem beforehand. How confident are you that this person is acting a little bit off because of the alcohol that they were drinking versus their blood sugar is 50? You know, this this is the part where it comes down to is, is how confident are you that this person isn't having a diabetic issue on top of the trauma that they are having and that that didn't cause the trauma to begin with? I can speak from personal experience that I've been to several traumas that were the result because of the person's blood sugar dropped and they fell off a ladder. I, I, that was a call that I had. So yes, I do think getting a glucose when possible is important for these patients. Certainly life-sustaining stuff has to happen first, splinting a person, you know, providing appropriate pain medications, all of that stuff, very important do it. I'm not saying don't. When you do have a free moment, though, I do think it is important that you do get a good blood 
a, a solid blood glucose on this person because they may also need an intervention for that as well. That's just where I can see impacting EMS. The hospital is definitely going to recheck it regardless. Um, that flight crew, I'm hopeful that it was a joke um, and that they weren't having malicious intentions there. However, I don't know for certain if they were, then, you know, they need to check the blood glucose themselves as well. But, <laughs> you know, I, I do think it is important. And no pun intended. I'm in the same boat with you. Like what you're saying about making sure the medical didn't cause the trauma. And that's kind of one of the things I talk about with a partner is that like, yeah, he could be drunk or it could be something else. He could be altered. It could be blah, 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 blase, blase. But I literally like, we got back in the truck and we're joking about it. And my partner was like, so we should be getting, and she's an EMT, but she's a gosh darn good one. Um, she's like, so we should be getting CBGs on every trauma patient. And, and I looked at her, I was like, when well, we have time? I said, but you know what we did? I said, we had our guy with the basic set of vital signs. We had him with two IVs while we're FaceTiming the wife so she can understand what's going on to meet him at the hospital on top of getting his medical history on top of <clears throat> his allergies, on top of all these other things. And so I was like, yes with him being quote unquote drunk and he said he drank some alcohol he smelt like it you can't rule that out completely so i was like if we would have had time if we were transporting ourselves especially with a flight crew in the back yeah get a cbg i told her i was like but i'm not gonna let somebody die or decline because i'm sitting there putting the little strip in the glucometer making sure like and yeah, if I have time. No, yeah, exactly what you said. You know, I, I think you got to, there, there's time and places for everything in EMS. You know, you don't ever, you know, EMS is a triage system, right? You don't ever want to delay an appropriate intervention for something that, yes, you should be doing at some point in time if you have the time. We are limited by resources. Sometimes there's only two people. Sometimes it's just you and your partner. I've worked at agencies where it's just me with a non-medical driver. They don't even have a CPR card. And it's just me. So there's only so much that some EMS agencies can do. And I would always want you to prioritize on what you can do that will have the biggest benefit for the patient at that point. In your scenario, pain medicine, splinting, vitals, making sure ABCs are all intact are all more important than getting a blood glucose at that point in time. If you can get one, awesome. That flight crew, I don't know, do better. That's you know, literally... if, 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 you need, if, if you're that concerned about the blood glucose, get your blood glucose. It'll be all right. I think you did a great job by soundings of what you have told me. And it's what I would have done. I think we have to prioritize interventions. I do think you should get one if you can, but there's other stuff that we have to do as well. It's funny you say do better because like, I'm pretty sure it was a joke because I looked at him and I was like, no. And I said the thing I said, and he was like, oh, and he kind of like nudged me with his elbow. He's like, well, do better. And so it's been the running joke for me and my partner when I'm like, oh, gosh, we didn't get a blood sugar within five minutes. And she'll look at me. She'll be like, Alexis, do better. So <laughs> well, it sounds like it might have been within within good jest and good fun then, but I hope so. That's what I, I took it like as. It. Didn't hurt my feelings. Okay. So 
All right. Well, that's all I have. Matt, do you want to add anything else? No, I think we covered a lot of information. Um, certainly, if anybody has any questions, feel more than free to reach out through Alexis through her podcast. I'm sure she can pass along any questions that she may have. Um, otherwise, thanks for having me on. I, it was a lot of fun. I hope uh, somebody at least took uh, something away from this. Uh, allergies, allergies, allergies. Always remember allergies. And otherwise, yeah, I think that's about it. All right, guys. Drop in your comments. Drop in your discussion topics. Do all the good things to keep this rolling. So with that. The 22 at the Lips podcast is designed to support, not replace the relationship that exists between a practitioner and his or her medical director. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host, guest, and not necessarily of Mastery Medics. The information provided during this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for your approved protocols.